Welcome to What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, the podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kidder. Our podcast is all about issues facing Southern Utah. Here we will announce your upcoming events, talk with movers and shakers in our community about important issues facing Beaver, Iron, Kane, and Washington counties, and make sure you are kept in the loop with interesting news and commentary of local interest. While we welcome folks from all over, our goal with this podcast is to give residents of Southern Utah a place to find out about issues that affect them. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and also on our Facebook group, What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, and online at What's Really Happening SU.com. Okay, it's been a little bit since we've been here in the studio, and I uh, I tell you, it, it just never seems that the hits quit coming. We have just recently uh, come through the incidents in Enoch, Utah, with the, uh, the killings of the Haight family, and we get another interesting uh, set of events going on here in Little Cedar City. We just this week, if you have not heard, uh, we had a former student at uh, Canyon View High School pull and point a gun at another student. And uh, there's a timeline of that. And I I actually am going to play for you a clip of Cedar City Police Chief Darren Adams um, before the city council giving a full timeline of those events. And then joining me in the studio today, <clears throat> sorry, I have um, Richard Jensen, I like to call him Jax. Um, he is a former state school board candidate and a current Enoch City Council member. And also joining us today, we have our favorite guest and one of my favorite human beings, Iron County Sheriff Ken Carpenter. And he can give us some of the uh, law enforcement perspective on why some decisions were made and things were done. But in that city council meeting on Wednesday, uh, I got a little heated and some other parents and and concerned citizens got a little bit heated. Um, And things got uh, warm in there. So we're going to kind of have a discussion here about what was done and what we think should have been done and looking at kind of where we go from here and lessons learned and how we do a better job of protecting our children and securing our children. So before we get into that conversation, I want to play a clip of uh, Police Chief Darren Adams uh, giving the timeline of events um, so that we have that as a baseline to operate from. And here he is. Thank you, Mayor, uh, Council, and staff. Uh, I'm here to just briefly discuss um, the incident that occurred at, at Canyon View High School and give some, some perspective and timeline of events. I have here joining me uh, Superintendent Hatch from the school district and Laura Lewis from the school board. Stephanie Hill's in the audience. She's also with the school board as well. Um, and I'll give these to you, Renan. I've got these remarks. I can email to you. I want to begin by stating that sharing sensitive information with the public during an active investigation is a careful line to balance. In the case of the incident at Canyon View High School, I wanted to provide information early on to ensure the public knew in part what occurred and the safe resolution that resulted. Information was limited due to the fact that it was an active investigation. As a result, the initial press release created questions and caused concern. I understand and apologize for any concern that may have been felt by our citizens, especially students and parents. The responsibility for yesterday's press release is mine. 
I want the public to know that we take these types of incidents very seriously and devote a large number of resources to ensure our schools, students, and citizens are safe. As police chief, I want the public to know that my officers and I take school and student safety very seriously. And I work extremely closely, all of us do, with our law enforcement partners and school district officials to ensure that a safe environment for learning exists. So the following is just a comprehensive timeline of events that occurred uh, beginning on Monday the 27th. On Monday the 27th at approximately 1.30 p.m., a student entered the school resource officer's office to report that he saw a juvenile known to him drive out of the Canyon View High School parking lot an hour earlier between 12.20 and 12.30 p.m. The student said that it looked like the juvenile was pointing a gun at him as the juvenile drove away, but it was difficult to be sure. The student made it clear that he wanted no further involvement and did not want to be pulled out of class to discuss it further. He did not want to cooperate any further with the investigation. The SRO, or school resource officer, Officer Carpenter, immediately went to the parking lot to see if the suspect was still in the parking lot, which he was not. Officer Carpenter, without the cooperation and assistance from the student, began his investigation with very limited information. He confirmed the possible identity of the suspect and began looking at school surveillance video to see if the incident was captured on the school cameras, which it was not. As school was concluding for the day, at approximately 2.30 p.m., two students came into Officer Carpenter's office to tell him that a different student had been assaulted in the parking lot. Officer Carpenter went immediately to the parking lot and found the student. At this point, Principal Heaton was informed of the situation. The student told Officer Carpenter that a juvenile suspect came into the parking lot, struck him, and then left. It was determined that the juvenile suspect was likely the same suspect from the earlier incident involving the alleged firearm brandishing. An investigation into this assault commenced with a plan to meet with the student and his parent the next morning. This was a mutual agreement for all involved parties that included a discussion between the principal, the school resource officer, and the victim's mother. It wasn't until early Tuesday morning, the 28th, at approximately 6.30 a.m., that Officer Carpenter was able to obtain physical evidence that the juvenile, who was alleged to have pointed the gun at the student, may have in fact been in possession of a firearm. Shortly after this discovery, between 8.45 and 9.30 a.m., the student victim contacted Officer Carpenter and told him that he would cooperate with the investigation and agreed to give more details about the encounter. At this time, officers had already been surveilling the juvenile suspect's residence and were watching it. His vehicle was in the parking lot and intelligence gathered gave them the confidence that he was inside the residence. Officer Carpenter immediately began working with the Iron County Attorney's Office to draft a search warrant for the suspect's residence. Also, the Iron Metro SWAT team began assembling to brief for an operation to safely take the suspect into custody. It took some time for the warrant to be applied for and approved. During this time, the suspect's residence was under constant surveillance. Also during this time, there was an increased presence of law enforcement in and around Canyon View High School. Once the warrant was approved, the SWAT team began to advance on the suspect's residence which was around 12.30 p.m. Between 12.30 and 12.55 p.m., we received information from a confidential informant that the suspect shared threats on social media. Due to the threats and the close proximity of the suspect to Fiddler's Elementary, Canyon View Middle School, and Canyon View High School, the schools were placed on lockdown. The SWAT team operators approached the suspect's residence at approximately 1.05 p.m., and the suspect emerged from the apartment. He was swiftly and safely taken into custody without incident, the lockdown was lifted and lasted approximately 15 minutes. I think it's important for the public to know that law enforcement and school officials were working hand-in-hand -hand during the investigation and subsequent arrest. 
The investigations were begun immediately after the offenses were reported. However, limited information and evidence was offered to be able to lawfully build a case and gather evidence to make an arrest. There was no belief, either by law enforcement or school officials, that there was an active threat to students on Monday to necessitate a lockdown, especially with the lack of evidence and vagueness of the complaint from the uncooperative juvenile. Oh, okay. So that's the comment by Chief Adams to City uh, Cedar City Council. And I will have uh, a video later on this afternoon or early evening um, compiling both those comments, all of the comments of the uh, community members who spoke. And then at the same time that this was going on in Enix City, um, Officer Pollock, the PIO for Cedar City Police Department, and uh, Ben Johnson, the president of the Iron County School Board, were in front of e Enix City Council uh, doing a similar um, update. And so I will have all of those comments. I'm getting that video today as well. So those will be available on what's really happening, su.com on our website. We'll have those available, and we'll make links available to those on Facebook. So I've got Jax here. He was in that Cedar City, uh, I'm sorry, he was in that Enoch uh, City uh, Council meeting as a member of the Enoch City Council. And I, I know that Mayor Chestnut got a little riled up. <laughs> yeah, uh, he actually told some of the citizens as discussion was going back and forth, questions and answers between him and the school board members. Some of the citizens tried to uh, break in and get a question or have their bit heard. And he, he was riled up enough. He said, hey, this is my meeting. I get to yell first. And yeah, I, I remember so. him saying something about I don't get paid very much. So this is <laughs> this is what I get to do. Well, I, I appreciate his uh, emotions in it because when I got my turn, I was probably just as loud. So. So what did you think about the chief's comments? I mean, you heard a little bit different version with, with Officer Pollock, but he pretty much read the same press release. And what did you think when you, when you heard that timeline that was a little bit different from the timeline that came out uh, the day before? Um, I, well, I appreciated them taking the time to try to get accurate information out to all of us and that they would even show up and try to talk to us. Um, I'm concerned about some of those inconsistencies um, and... Uh, there, while I believe that the the data about when things happened uh, is accurate, there's no reason to question any of that. It leaves a lot of holes in how the decisions were made during that timeline. The the, the reasonable responses don't seem to line up with what they're telling us, and so that, that's not a not, not a questioning of the timeline. It's a questioning of the people and how they made their decisions. Right. And, and the biggest issue of contention was at the time that this event occurred, it was pretty close to the time that Canyon View High School was going to be letting out their students. Mm -hmm. And in my comments uh, to the city council, and, and ma mainly they were aimed at, uh, at the school board, um, our concern was what if this student came back with that gun and, and began shooting? So why a lockdown wasn't initiated? right off the bat and it was, there was also some folks who were very upset and they didn't know who to be upset at they didn't know should they be upset at the school resource officer should they be upset at, at mr heaton the, the principal um whose decision it was so i well, asked that's, him, one of, that's one of those inconsistencies i'm talking about because um the statement itself reads in the areas where the specificity is needed it is very vague and so it says 
Um, Mr. Heaton was told about the incident at 2.30. Well, was that the gun brandishing incident? Was that the assault incident? Was it both? We, it, it's unclear. And so you've got the hour and a half or hour-ish between when the gun brandishing was reported and when the assault was reported. For that hour, we don't know who knew what. And the report makes it sound like Mr. Heaton didn't know until 2.30 but you asked a very specific question to Chief Adams because that was important. You said, when the SRO was told, did he immediately tell the principal? And Chief Adams, uh, his first comment was, in general, our officers work lockstep with everyone and they share information. Um, but then it was very specific to this case. He said, our SRO shared that information as soon as he got it. Yeah, I'm gonna actually so play that clip so yeah. you can hear what the chief said to my response to my question. I'm Dan Kidder. I'm a nationally recognized expert in violence. Um, this concerned me greatly. And Chief, you know how much I appreciate you and your officers, and I stand behind you. And I am always prone to giving you the benefit of the doubt. And I do understand that in these situations, as the investigation uncovers more information, the timelines will change and information will shift, and I get that. My biggest question here is what did the school resource officer do with the information once he received it? Did he take it to the principal? And so it was the principal's decision that it was not credible. So, uh, Chief Adams, so our, our SROs and our principals were lockstep one with another. Um, they're communicating all the time. And so when he got the information, he communicated with Principal Heaton about what they had. Um, I can't speak for the district on the lockdown policies. That's ultimately their policies. But as Superintendent Hatch mentioned, they yield to us a great deal. So if we feel like there's credible threats that we have proven, we'll say, hey, we think you need to lock this down. That's ultimately their decision. So it's ultimately their decision. And he said as soon as the school resource officer, or as soon as the principal um, talked to the school resource officer, he received the information of, of what occurred. So ultimately that decision was Mr. Heaton, the principals, and, and that was the a big point that I wanted to verify before I kind of unleashed my wrath. I wanted to know who to aim it at, and exactly. I did. I pointed right at the superintendent and kind of lost it a little bit. Um, and I, I'm not known for not being a hothead. But, and, and so in full disclosure, before going into that uh, city council meeting, I had no idea who the school resource officer was, and uh, Ken, it, it was your son, Matt. And Correct. so that's that's an important point for people to understand. But you're not really here to, to criticize whether you did a good job or not do a good job. And, and we can talk a little bit about that in, in the background of what police do and, and why they do it. But a lot of the parents were really irate and wondering why a lockdown wasn't initiated immediately when there was the word that a gun was pointed at a student. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, why you think that decision and what went into that decision um, of, of not putting that under lockdown on Monday? Yeah, Dan, thanks. You know, as, as Darren stated or Chief Adams stated in his statement to the city council, is there was no credible threat. You had a student that came into the school resource officer and said an hour ago there was somebody that was leaving the parking lot that I think maybe 
possibly pointed a pistol at me, but I really don't know. And the school resource officer immediately began taking action. He began to try to determine whether there was a credible threat against the school. He went out into the parking lot, he searched for the vehicle, he went into uh, the, the school's video recording system and began reviewing tape to see if, you know, if there, you know, if the vehicle was captured on, on uh, video or anything that was taking place. You know, that hour, that hour from the time the incident allegedly took place and the time that it was reported, that was critical. And it, it never was brought to the attention of, of the school resource officer or the, uh, the school officials until a full hour later. And, you know, at this point, we're an hour away from school uh, being dismissed. You know, this is one of these type situations where the schools are damned if you do and damned if you don't. If they put everybody in lockdown and start calling in additional resources and looking, then you get parents that are upset because their children weren't allowed to get on the school buses and, and go home. You know, and I know that firsthand because as a former school resource officer myself, I've seen parents react in, in exactly that manner. Now, I'm not saying that the parents are wrong for, for being upset, but, you know, having been on that side of the fence, you know, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation at that point in time. I guess my major contention and in, in with, with what was being said in, in that kind of, of argument is we're living in 2023 we have had a just rash of mass violence in our schools um and, and in hindsight after the event this kid did come back and had he come back with a gun uh and began shooting in the parking lot i mean you remember i, I remember from my time at, at quantico and you probably remember from your time at quantico um that's the nightmare scenario right it's an unrestrained shooter we can't lock down classrooms and and barricade in place and, and keep him out of those rooms um and, and so i guess our thinking here is and i'm speaking as you know one of the groups of the, all the parents who spoke is i'd rather be inconvenienced than bury a child and you know if you're going to err err on the side of of caution and as soon as you hear gun lock it down figure it out later see if it's credible and, and so i think that's the argument being made from that other side and, and you know and we we talked yesterday and you know one of the things you mentioned is well every time that there's tests or a final exam that you know a bomb threat would get called in um and i remember those days from when i was in high school i mean that was a really long time ago uh but yeah we'd have bomb threats all the time usually around major tests and so we do understand, you know, that, that what is that line? What makes that decision um, to, to recommend that the, the school go into lockdown and not, you know, be doing it every week? Right. And I, I think that, you know, first off, Dan, I think that your point is, is well taken, is I think that, yeah, I get where we're at. And, I mean, heck, I started teaching active shooter response to officers 17 years ago we were one of two law enforcement agencies in the entire state west valley city police department and cedar city police department in conjunction with the honor county sheriff's office were the only only agencies in the entire state that were teaching 
active shooter response to their officers back then. You know, we've been doing it longer than anybody. We take this extremely seriously. We've had a very good, long-standing relationship with the Arne County School District. They've been letting us into their schools from the from the moment that we've had the inception of our of our first active shooter response training, and they've been working with us ever since. Uh, Chief Adams and I have have met numerous times with the district office and with uh, school board members to look at what we can do to enhance the security of our schools. Again, the school district takes this very seriously. We take it very seriously. We do not dismiss this at all. But there has to be a balance at some point in time. Uh, you know, we, we have to know that there's a credible threat. Otherwise, your students are going to be continually locked down. You know, uh, when I was still in the Marine Corps, we were stationed down in in uh, Southern California. We lived in Murrieta. My oldest son was attending high school at Murrieta High School. At that point in time, if you went to Murrieta High School, they had a six and a half metal stake fence that went around the entire campus. You entered the school and they completely locked down the campus and nobody left that campus until the end of the school day. My son hated it. He felt like he was in prison and it affected his, his studies. And uh, when, when we moved here, my second son started high school at Canyon View High School. My oldest son went with him as they registered for school. And he walked around the Canyon View campus and he said, wow, I would have loved to have been able to come to a school like this. And, you know, there is a balance. Is, is there a threat out there? Yeah, there's a threat, and we know that. We recognize that, and we work diligently to counter that th threat and to protect our children. There's nothing more important to us than that. Ken, I don't think anyone questions that you guys take this seriously and the school takes it seriously. Um, uh, or that you do a great job and that everyone values what you do. All of that is absolutely certain. The, the problem I'm having is that it seems the reaction in two different days seems different. Um, so for instance, you, you're saying, well, the, the answer I was given at our city council when we were talking to people was, well, we didn't put anything in lockdown because we didn't know. We were uncertain, we needed to verify the information. And as I understand all of the experiences of things that have happened, the appropriate response is, um, if you don't know, that is why you should have locked down. Uh, because yeah, uh, if I'm not mistaken, just pointing a gun at someone is an aggravated assault, is it not? That, that's correct. The problem is, is that the young man that reported it couldn't say for sure whether a gun was ever even actually pointed to him. Okay, uh, so I guess this is and an that, important point too. I talked to Ben Johnson yesterday because I wanted to get clarification on that and he repeated the exact same verbiage three times, which makes me think that he either saw it in writing or he got it straight from your son. Um, and that it was how that conversation went. Because everyone's being very vague. Well, he said he wasn't sure. But I got the exact same verbiage three times, that the initial report was, somebody pointed a gun at me. And that your son responded, he pointed a gun at you? And he said, well, he pointed something at me. The in I, and I got that exact same verbiage three times, which makes me think the very first sentence out of that kid's mouth was, I had a gun pointed at me. And then he later went, oh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't want to be involved because I don't want to be a snitch. I think I'm in danger, whatever. Don't even pull me out of class. I don't want people thinking I talked to you. 
But the very first words out of his mouth were, I had a gun pointed at me. Well, and and that, he named the person. Like, that should have been an automatic, let's make sure that this isn't a problem. Because if, and if you introduce this idea, well, maybe the kid was wrong, maybe it wasn't a gun, then, well, maybe he was right about that, but if the kid could be wrong about stuff, like the gun, he could have been wrong about how long ago the guy left. He could have been wrong about whether or not he left at all. Like, you, you, they're admitting that we didn't know, and that's why we didn't act, but the fact that you didn't know is why you should have. But, but I think, Jax, right there is where you're missing the point, is there was action taken. Matt immediately went out and began investigating. He began to try to establish the credibility of the report that he, that I, he received. I agree with that, and that's why finding out whether or not he told the administration immediately is so important, and we can't get a clear answer. Well, and I don't, think, I don't think that anybody really knows. You know, Matt, Well, Matt does. Well, I mean, it's Matt, possible so, if he gets so to his offense, when he left, did he, maybe, maybe Denny wasn't in the office, maybe he wasn't right there, but did he not tell a secretary? Did he not pass the AD's office? Was there not a VP? Did he tell... Did he tell nobody, I might possibly be going out facing somebody with a gun and not telling you where he was going or what was happening? So, so that seemed, that, I don't believe he would do that because that seems to violate a whole bunch of principles where you let people know what is happening and so that help can be coming in case there's a problem. I don't believe he would do that. I bet he's better trained than that. But we, because Mr. Heaton nor uh, Matt were at either of the city councils, nobody seems to be able to ask them what was actually said? Did you mention it to a secretary and they didn't tell Heaton? Maybe you didn't tell Heaton himself. Maybe you did and Heaton didn't act. We don't have those answers. Well, and I don't know that you're, that you're ever going to have those answers. You know, when I talked with Matt, he says, Dad, I thought that I told Mr. Heaton. He says, when we went to the district office, Mr. Heaton said that I didn't tell him. He says, at this point, I don't know. He says, I thought that I told him. Yeah, and that doesn't math to me because Matt went out there, he conducted a very thorough investigation, he put a whole bunch of pieces in place uh, to get surveillance on this suspect, he did additional research, looked at the video footage, uh, got additional units to the school to provide safety to the school. He did all these things and I just, it doesn't math to me that I didn't tell the principal that there was a gun involved. I just, that doesn't add up. Especially since the initial pressure release made it sound like he knew instantly. Yeah. Like it sounds like the school is trying to backtrack on our guy didn't know. And I, and I know from talking to a couple of the school board members that they're going to be looking into this in a lot more detail as well and, yeah. and trying to get that information. But so this all brings us back around to there's a little bit more involved in this than what we uh, were initially led to believe. And so yesterday, uh, the superintendent, Mr. Hatch, sent out a letter to the members of the city council and to the school board. And he goes into what that is, and I'm going to read you uh, that letter right now. Mayor Green, Cedar City Council, and Mr. Bittman, thank you for allowing Lauren Lewis and I to stand next to Chief Adams at last night's Cedar City Council meeting. I always feel that I'm in good company when working with Chief Adams. As one of you mentioned, hindsight is 2020. 
Thinking back on the meeting, I wish I had made something more clear, and I'm taking this opportunity to correct that. For several months, we have seen extreme behaviors in our high schools, CHS and CVHS, stretching back even to last school year. These have been similar in that they all involve a student being lured to a specific location, such as a bathroom, and being hit and kicked, usually by multiple students. These resulted in safe school hearings and serious consequences, including assault charges. Although similar, we did not know these instances were connected until this week with the outstanding work of our local law enforcement, including Officer Carpenter and Chief Adams. They were able to piece the information together with serious incidents that have happened across the county to reveal that there is a very real problem in our county with a growing gang mentality and presence. We are now confident that the behaviors we were seeing in the schools as recent as last week were part of initiation requirements to gang entrance into this gang structure. I am so appreciative of the quick, efficient, and strategic actions of local law enforcement supported by school administration to apprehend the, quote, ringleaders of this element. The young man that came to CVHS and assaulted a student in the parking lot is only one of several who have been apprehended. Because of the actions of our Cedar City Police Department, our schools are much safer today than they were on Monday morning. I wish the city's mayor and city council could see what I see. I see an unprecedented and outstanding collaboration between the schools and law enforcement that has resulted in a better, safer community slash school system. I hope that now you might be able to understand a little of why I am so pleased with the outcomes of this effort. My daughter, a sophomore at CHS, is safer because the root of the problem was finally found and dealt with. I believe there is still ongoing work throughout the county, but I'm certain that more information will soon come to light that further demonstrates the extent and the importance of the work that was done this week. My greatest appreciation and gratitude has been earned by your police department. Sincerely, Lance Hatch, Superintendent of Iron County School District. And we'll have a copy of that email that went out uh, on the What's Really Happening SU.com website. Um, so, Sheriff, you did a press conference yesterday, and because there's been additional arrests, and they're they're a little bit related, they're not necessarily completely related uh, to this incident at CVHS, but there's some overlap there. Talk to us a little bit about what happened and, and what you guys did yesterday. So we had. We've had uh, two drive-by shootings on the same residence out in Cedar Valley. Uh, the first one took place on uh, Sunday, I believe it was the 12th of February. Uh, at about 1.30 in the morning, the residents heard popping sounds that were consistent with gunfire. They didn't see anything and went back to sleep. When they awoke at 7 o'clock in the morning, they found that their home had been shot up and that there were uh, bullet holes in two different bedrooms, in the kitchen, and in other parts of the house. Uh, they called the deputies at that time. The deputies responded and found 11 shell casings and uh, recovered at least one slug from the house. Their grandson was living with them. Uh, we felt that that he had some possible gang ties down in Las Vegas and uh, that he wasn't really very forthcoming or cooperative with us. So our initial indication was, was maybe this was uh, something in response to gang activity down in Las Vegas, but we really didn't have anything to, to tie that to, to to make that sure. 
last Tuesday morning, the 27th of February, we received a call from the, the same residence at about 1.43 in the morning stating that their house had again been shot up. Deputies immediately responded. Uh, one of the deputies found a black Jeep uh, that had run a stop sign. He went to conduct a traffic stop on the vehicle. The vehicle blacked out and started to run from him. When he realized that they couldn't get away, they, they eventually pulled over. The deputy uh, began investigating and realized that this was a suspect vehicle. Uh, he arrested uh, six young men ranging in age from 17 to 19. We recovered uh, two weapons from that vehicle and upon questioning, uh, at least some of them confessed to being a part of, of that shooting. We believe that the six in the vehicle and the suspect from the fight and the gun pointing at the high school are tied together. Uh, uh, Cedar PD recovered a pistol from that suspect's house and currently we're waiting for ballistics to come back to see if it ties in to the first drive-by shooting on, on that residence. So we don't know for sure. There's nothing definitive yet, but we we believe that they're probably tied together. Now you we talked yesterday, and, and you said you were not aware of what was going on at the high schools with these gang initiations. Is that is that correct? That's correct. And so, what do you think now that you're you, you've heard that this is going on? What is your take on it? Well. You know, again, having been a school resource officer, you know, I dealt with a number of fights as a school resource officer within high schools. I mean, you know, let's face it, boys have a tendency of, of settling their disagreements with, with the fight. Uh, and so I don't think that it was uncommon for, you know, the school resource officers and, and the school administrations to deal with, with kids fighting at the at the high school um, I think that in hindsight as they've been looking at what they've been dealing with over the course of the year that I think that they're they're correct is that you know this is you know a lot of these fights were uh, tied to initiation into a gang Dan can I concur with uh, uh, or uh, with Ken and the superintendent that I just because boys fight, I don't think there's any reason the school necessarily needed to alert uh, uh, law enforcement or the, the SRO would make a connection. I'm incredibly thrilled, as the superintendent said, that they have finally made that connection and worked together to get this figured out. Uh, the, the problem, I, my concern with what you know, the superintendent said is, is not that they didn't alert law enforcement to every single fight. That seems unnecessarily overburdensome. Um, but the fact that they knew that these were happening consistently and had a pattern, but they never even told parents that, hey, by the way, we've had a series of these things happen in our bathrooms. Please talk to your children about maybe always going with a, a friend or if they see something, talk to people. Like alert parents, hey, this is happening in our schools. You should be aware and prepare your student. And, and, and it's the same, uh, we didn't even talk about the fact that the school never notified anything about the Monday and Tuesday events. It's a long pattern of the, and a lot of the complaints we got 
at the city council meetings, both of them, was the fact that the school district continuously does not inform us about safety concerns for our students. Yeah, and Hatch at the that's city... That's not on law enforcement at all. I, I think they've handled everything well, and they've done a great job, and I appreciate them. I, I think it's a problem at the school. And, and Hatch at the city council meeting in Cedar City mentioned that they have a text system, but it's not working right now. Uh, they have the remind system that, that notifies parents of different things going on. I think something of this seriousness that should have been a reverse 911 call, um, again, you have to opt into that. So one of the conversations we had, and hopefully this will move forward, uh, it seemed to me that Lauren Lewis was very uh, keen on this moving forward when I spoke to her, um, is to set up a, a similar system to the reverse 911, and if you have students in the school, you are opted in. You have to opt out if you don't want to get those those messages. But what concerns me about what Hatch said in, in this letter, he said that these assaults resulted in safe school hearings and serious consequences, including assault charges. So you have um, law enforcement being involved. You have the county attorney's office being involved if, if charges are being brought. And they have hearings going on. You know, Safe school hearings is all capitalized. Um, so that is a, a program that the school district has uh, to see if, you know, if there's violations to school policy. And so these hearings are going on. Parents are not being notified. And I think that's the biggest complaint that a lot of the parents had in the council meetings, both yours and Cedar City, was that, hey, why weren't we informed of, of what's going on? And I think the school district is going to have some very hard questions to answer uh, regarding that right because the so that email that we're talking about with the they've known this for over a year he admits um, I don't believe that even became public yesterday so a lot of people are gonna hear this on right now and it's gonna be news to them that we've had these going on in the year they didn't know it was initiations the whole time but we've had legal action and a series of ritualistic you know similar events and nobody told us and so they weren't angry at that at the City Council they were angry that um, it was that there was no indication whatsoever from the school district at this point that they ever intended to tell anybody that a gun had been pulled on campus. They didn't do it the day it happened. The next day, uh, they had enacted, they had, had confirmation it had actually occurred, they, all the arrests had been enacted, and they still hadn't told anybody. The principal, Heaton, he was at the school board meeting that night, Wednesday night, and didn't tell the public at all. He, there's no indication they ever intended to tell people there was a gun pulled on the campus that your kids go to. And that's the that's a really major concern. It has nothing to do, I don't, I love Ken, I don't want him to think I'm attacking him at all since he's sitting in the chair next to me. But it's a really major concern for parents on a lot of scale and it's a long trend of these types of reports specifically out of uh, Canyon View High School and a lot of it out of the district in general. And what concerns me the most about this letter is that it, it went to about a dozen people. There are people in positions of authority, the school board and the city council and the mayor and the, and the city manager. And, and well, only Cedars. For only Cedars. They didn't send it to Enoch. I had, when I heard about it, I had to call and specifically request. Even, so Enoch, Cedar City is the uh, law enforcement agency that the school is in, but all of Enoch is encompassed by that school dip boundary. So all of our kids are assigned to Canyon View and they weren't going to tell Enoch City that this was happening to our students. Yeah. Ken, so how how prevalent is gang activity in Iron County? Well, I, 
I don't think that it is very prevalent. You know, we we started seeing things. I think that these are, you know, one or maybe two two gangs that are starting that are, you know, kind of homegrown startup gangs. Uh, we believe that some of the members have family ties in other parts of the country to gang activity, and that's that's probably where it's initiating is because hey, they think, you know, mom or dad or uncle or brother or whoever is, is pretty cool because they're in this gang and so here I am in Cedar City, Utah and, and I'm going to I'm gonna start my own gang. Uh, you know, so I think that really, you know, there's, there's some serious concern because we've had these two drive-by shootings. There's some serious concern because we've seen some of this initiation activity that's been taking place at the schools. And, and didn't one of the, the guys that you arrested, didn't he say that they were moving on an op? Yes. And, and that means that they were making a move on an opponent or an opposition or an enemy. But but I think that, you know, we've really, I think we've really cut it, you nipped it in the bud right here. I Thank think heaven. That, well done. I think that the seven arrests that we currently have are the major actors. And we're still in the process of serving search warrants. This isn't done. We believe that there's other actors out there that have, have even if they're not tied directly to the gang, that they're, they've been supporting it in other manners. And if we can build the case against them, we're going after them. Because this kind of conduct's not going to be tolerated in Iron County. You know, Iron County's been the fastest growing county in the state in the last year. And uh, it's like I stated yesterday, if we have people moving here from out of state because they want to better their lives and they want to assimilate into our culture and into our customs, you're welcome. But if they believe that they're coming here to prey upon, you know, this this uh, rural community and conduct criminal activity, they're dead wrong. We're going to go after them with every resource that we have, and we will take them down. There's there's no question about it. We have the capability to do it. We'll do it. And I, I love that. I mean, we've got some issues in this small little rural community that, that people may not be aware of. We've got... Heroin's been replaced pretty much with fentanyl. Well, and and now we just got an update just the other day that there's a uh, animal tranquilizer, I believe it's xiphene or something along that line, that is now being mixed with fentanyl, and uh, because it's not an opioid, our Narcan won't pull somebody out of an overdose. Oh, great! Uh, mm. if, if they if they suffer an overdose from this this new uh, tranquilizer that's out there, so it's becoming increasingly different, you know, difficult. And we're finding that, you know, that the cartels that are sending the drugs across the border and are being consumed here in Iron County and other parts of the nation are almost always laced with fentanyl anymore. And it doesn't matter what it is; it doesn't matter whether it's heroin, it doesn't matter whether it's meth, cocaine, uh, marijuana. It doesn't matter what it is. It's been infused with, with fentanyl, and, and now we believe that it may be infused with this, this new tranquilizer as well. So, you know, there's really a good chance that we're going to see uh, overdose deaths on the rise again because our Narcan's not going to work. Oh, man. And if you go back, we did a podcast, uh, I don't know, a few months back where we had uh, Ken Carpenter and uh, Chad Dotson 
the county attorney in here and we kind of talked about crime in Iron County and what's going on and some of the different issues that law enforcement is facing uh, here in Iron County. So you can go back and you can find that on the website at whatsreallyhappeningsu.com or on Apple Podcasts. Um, Dan, could I make another comment while yes, sir. we're talking? You know, we, we've talked a lot about a lot of these different things with the school and the school district and law enforcement and whatnot. But i got to tell you, part of the problem here is our Utah state legislature. Uh, you know, here back in, I don't remember if it's 2013 or 2015, they passed JRI, the Justice Reinvestment Initiative, that decriminalized or at least substantially reduced the, the crimes, specifically on drug crimes. But then they came out here within the past four or five years and did what we refer to as juvenile JRI, where they've decriminalized a ton of things uh, involving, uh, involving juveniles. And it has really clipped the wings of our school resource officers and our school administrators of holding these kids accountable for criminal conduct. We're not talking about just you know kids misbehaving. We're talking specifically about criminal conduct that when I was a school resource officer, I was taking them in and, and uh, charging them with crimes and putting them in uh, detention. Now that doesn't happen because the school resource officers are not allowed to charge them criminally. Oh, wow. And, and that becomes a really big problem because it's not just the high school that we're seeing this activity in, right? That's correct. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in the middle schools. Well, you know, I'm not involved in the middle schools. I, I really don't know a whole lot, but, but even in this, this current investigation, one of the things that we're investigating is the possibility of drug distribution that's been specifically targeted to the high school and the middle schools. So we, we've got children as young as, you know, 11 and, and to 13 years old, um, and, and these guys are targeting them for drug distribution in the middle school. I mean, I remember in high school that was something we, we dealt with, but we never had to deal with anything like that at that young of an age. And so that's doubly concerning that, that these guys are, are trying to operate within our community. So our law enforcement officers do have their hands full, and it, it is a tough job. I mean, every, you know, always always everybody's trying to second-guess what you guys do. Um, and, and we've seen the defund the police movement across the country, and but I, I want you to know how much, and I think you do know how much I appreciate all that you do in, in this community. And, and I think one of the issues that stirred all this up and made people really more concerned than they probably normally would have been is we just came out of the, the Enoch killings. And, and so I think emotionally people are a little bit on edge. Um, and, and I know that we've been doing some great work in our communities. Uh, if you watch the last podcast we did, uh, we had Amy Nielsen, a, healthcare, a mental health care provider, and we had Rob Dotson and, and Cindy Baldwin um, in here talking about mental health and recovering, community recovery. Um, and there have been dozens and dozens of protocols uh, treating the mental health uh, and helping people to recover from this. And so that's that's been a good outcome of this. And, and a lot of that has been aimed at our first responders and our law enforcement officers, and they are taking advantage of those resources. So I'm really happy to see that. Uh, gentlemen, is there anything that you think we need to talk about that we missed? 
if I may, just two quick things. First is let's make sure that our anger over this incident isn't misplaced anger because of frustrations that have taken place in Enoch and, and other parts of the county. I think that there is value in having the conversation and I believe that you know there's value in, in being able to review policies and procedures and make sure that we're doing things better. But it needs to be just that. It needs to be a conversation. You know, instead of people with their pitchforks sharpened and pulling out the, the tar and feathers and looking for somebody's head on a platter. You know, I, I think that we need to, to look at this as what it is and use it for an opportunity of improving our policies and procedures and our relationships and our communications uh, with, with one another, making sure that, that we're doing things that are appropriate. Um, and the second thing, Dan, you, you already touched on it about uh, the community. We have a great community. You know, you talked about defund the police. And I've, I've told people this over and over and over again. When everybody else in the nation was talking about defund the police, we had elementary kids heart attacking our, our front doors of the sheriff's office. We had uh, middle school and high school kids bringing in banners saying thank you for your service and what you do and writing thank you cards. We had people, one young man, uh, spent over $1,000 to, to buy a, a, a sandwich, a bag of chips, and a soda pop for every officer in Iron County. You know, those things are not unnoticed by us. We recognize that we live in a fantastic community and we have great community support. And we're very, very grateful for that. This is a great place uh, to live and, and to be a law enforcement officer, quite frankly. And, you know, we've got some troubles. You know, we're growing and, and we've got some challenges to be sure. But our deputies and officers are, are very proactive and they are very professional and they're going after it. They're doing everything that they can to serve our community and keep our community safe. And I think that that's important for everybody to know and, and that we do very much appreciate our community and, and being here in Iron County. And, and I have to point out, I mean, over the years, I, I've consulted with police departments and, and law enforcement agencies across the country, and it's always been an amazement to me for a community this size how professional and well-trained um, our officers and deputies are uh, and, and the commitment to the community that's here that you, you often don't see in a lot of places. I know that there are communities that I've consulted in where the police officers would not eat anything that's brought in because for fear that it could be spiked or spit on or, or something else. So that, also, that stuff all went in the trash. But I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, the officers get the level of appreciation here that they do. Jax, you got any last thoughts? Well, I hate to be the buzzkill because uh, the sheriff was so positive. I agree with everything he said. It's a great community, and I'm, I try to make sure my kids are part of the support they get. I think uh, everything he said about everything, about the, the capability of the law enforcement and the professionalism and what they do, absolutely spot on. Just talking about this one specific event, one of the concerns I have had, I, I have been concerned that it seems like all the law enforcement and school admin, all the administrators are trying to say, man, this is a success, this was a success, this was a success. And it is in the fact that nobody died. Um, but every single parent I heard at all the city council meetings, all of them had an entirely different view, that this was a failure, this was a failure. 
Um, the only reason somebody didn't die was he was. We had the reports that these had happened, and the person was able to come on back. The only reason somebody didn't die is because he chose to use a fist in his gun. And if the fact that nobody died was dependent on the choice of the person and not because of the response of the school, then I think parents are right to say that's a failure. And I think the sheriff and the police chiefs are totally capable to make sure that that failure doesn't happen again. I have the trust in them. I don't want to, I want to make that clear. But I think there are some major failings in communication with parents. Uh, the actual response and the decisions that were made at the time, there was, I've got a lot more questions about think, those types of things that we didn't even have time to get into. Um, I don't want anyone to sharpen pitchforks. Um, let's keep everyone alive. Uh, you know, no, don't burn anyone at the stake. But um, I, I, I think that there were some major failures, and I, I hope that they will get fixed. I know they will at least be addressed because you and you and I are at least addressing them and talking about them. Um, I, everyone, just keep doing good work. Let's work together towards a great community. It is one. Let's keep it that way. Yeah, and this this conversation is far from being over. It's going to continue. I know the school board. Um, is going to be very seriously looking at at least some members of the school board that I've spoken with. I can't speak for everybody on the school board, um, but but those that I've spoken with, Stephanie Hill and um, um, yeah, brain brain fart, Lauren Lewis, um, are are going to be looking at this uh, in in our talks with them. In fact, people might be interested. So our city council in Enoch, we specifically asked Ben, the president of the school board, if they would be willing to hold a special meeting. Uh, just for this to put it on their schedule and have it noticed so the public can come and talk to them and answer questions and air some grievances and hopefully get some better answers um i so i've spoken to stephanie and jeff and lauren and, the, and i've asked all of them about that uh, i was told last night that lauren yesterday officially made that request hey can we can we get this done and they're hoping that that will happen last week i don't think it's scheduled there's not a date but everyone should be looking out for that um so that hopefully when that happens next week you can show up and more better information can be there so that people can feel safe with their kids in the schools and not just feel safe that they'll actually be safe at the schools um, and that some of these questions can get answered so look at look for that information to be coming from the school board okay and if we get that information we will put that out there uh, Jax can I both appreciate you uh, I, I want to say real quick um, normally I would have invited Darren Adams, the police chief in Cedar City, in to have this conversation. But since this is still an ongoing investigation, I didn't want to put him in, in that position of, of what he could talk about, what he couldn't talk about with an ongoing investigation. Um, but it's, it's not a, a diss on him in any way. I just didn't want to put him in that position. And also, I apologize for his audio in this. That's the city's uh, recording system. Um, I, I really can't do anything about that. But, gentlemen, I want to thank you both for coming in. I always appreciate uh, when you guys can come in and help clear the air on this. And, again, I, I hope that we continue this conversation going forward and we get some positive changes out of it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, the podcast. We hope that you found this content to be worthwhile. We want to hear from you. So if you have any upcoming event that you'd like to share with our listeners, or if you represent a local group, we'd love to have you come into the studio. Just email us at contact at whatsreallyhappeningsu.com. We're also working on streaming this podcast live and have the ability for folks to call in and ask questions or share items of interest to residents of Southern Utah. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends. And again, thanks for listening.